Hey everybody, welcome back to 10% True. Just before you get stuck into this episode, I wanted to let you know that in 2024, I'm going to be republishing my book, Red Eagle's America's Secret Megs. That's the story of the 4477th Test Evaluation Squadron and the program Constant Peg that exposed American fighter aircrew to secretly acquired and operated MiGs in the Nevada desert in the 1970s and 1980s. The book's been out of print for a while. It goes for crazy prices online, but I'll be republishing as a softback exclusively through my website, 10percenttrue.com. If you're thinking about supporting the channel, you'd like to buy the book for yourself or even as a gift, please do go and place a pre-order. I'll put a link in the description. All pre-orders are going to be 25% off and I'll make sure I personally inscribe and sign your copy for you. Anyway, I'll let you get back on with enjoying this episode. Take care. Nick, thanks for coming on 10% True. It's great to see you. Well, I, I, I'll just explain then to our viewers that normally we would sort of start at the beginning and your your background as uh, somebody who ran the UFO desk for the British Ministry of Defence, and we would normally start there and, and talk up to the present day. But as you say, today the New York Times are, are breaking news, um, and I know that you're in demand. We've got a limited amount of time with you today. So can you tell us what is happening today, what, what's been written? Certainly. It's been known for some time that Director of National Intelligence in the U.S., has been under a remit to do an intelligence assessment of the UFO phenomenon and to report that to the Senate Intelligence Committee and and indeed to other committees in Congress. That report is due on or around June 25th. And what's just happened, I mean, literally, as as we are speaking, news is still breaking about this, but the New York Times has reported senior administration figures who have been briefed in advance on what this report is likely to say have have let some hints drop about what's in it. And what's in it is this. Number one, no definitive evidence of an extraterrestrial presence, but flipping that around, neither is that scenario ruled out. On the other two big theories, one of them seems to have been almost completely discounted which is interesting. And that is the idea that what we're seeing in, in, for example, these three infamous US Navy videos is secret US black project technology, secret prototype aircraft, missiles, drones, that sort of thing. Um, almost across the board, apparently the answer is no, it's not us. And the third of the three big theories is that it's adversary technology. And that idea, um, there is some disquiet about because people are saying, yes, some of this might be Russia and might be China. And some of that tech might be the much vaunted hypersonic technology that's been talked about. And Vladimir Putin, for example, talked recently about uh, next generation weapons systems that he said almost employed a new physics, sounded like something out of a sci-fi movie, um, whether it's bluff or whether it's reality remains to be seen. And of course, US lawmakers are now saying, well, that's exactly what we need to find out. We need clarity on this. So this is what's likely to be in the report. No one single definitive conclusion, 
but a lot of it might be this, it might be that. We're not quite sure yet. So more work needed. It, it feels a little bit like, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll, my my area of expertise really as a, as a writer is uh, military aerospace, uh, military aviation, not unexplained aerial phenomena. But it feels a little bit like run a hamster wheel. Um, you've got a situation where nobody really knows what's going on. Somebody's a very senior says, well, let's commission um, the intelligence services to come back and tell us what they know. And what they come back and tell us is they don't really know anything. Um, I mean, they, they can discount some things, they tell us, um, but but not others. Do you, do you think that there will ever actually be a, a set of concrete answers to the questions that are being asked? I'm not sure there will be. And I think you're absolutely right. This is running around the hamster wheel, and it does feel – I mean, when I saw – some of these statements, I thought, my goodness, I've been there and done that. This is where we were in the 90s at the UK Ministry of Defence. Um, most of these sightings could be explained. Some remained a mystery. We wondered, could some of this be Russia? Um, what about the extraterrestrial hypothesis? Sure, we considered it. We didn't have a smoking gun. Uh, absolutely not. None, none of these things hidden away in an Air Force hangar somewhere, but neither did we completely rule it out. And particularly where we had you know, reasonably strong indications from a number of sources that these things seem to employ speeds, maneuvers, accelerations that that seemed beyond the cutting edge of what we had and what we thought others had. But I mean, I think, yes, I get that it is like reinventing the wheel, going around the hamster wheel, whatever analogy, but I think we are in a new position here with 21st century opportunities to take this forward in a way that we haven't done before. So for example, I think the technology is going to be the key. And going forward now, the focus must, I think, move away from the report, which in some sense is interesting, but in others, a little bit disappointing and, and seen it before and move on to the action that now needs to be taken within, whether it's the UK Ministry of Defence, the US DOD, uh, who, whoever it is. But we, we need tangible action. And that action is going to revolve around technology that we have now that we didn't have back when I was doing this in the 90s at the MOD, or rather you know, the technology which is much better now than back in those days. And the key to this, I think, is going to be threefold. Uh, firstly, it's going to be satellite imagery. Former Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe gave an interview on Fox recently, and he dropped into the conversation that alongside all the other things we have, like pilot testimony and forward-looking infrared camera videos, there was satellite imagery of this. So that's number one. Number two is more generally uh, MAZINT, Measurement and Signature Intelligence. Um, I think we can do so much more now that, that was just really just pie in the sky previously. And the US government will have raw data on, on this that is, is you know, able to be analyzed in more depth. So it's, it's not... This report is a fixed point in time, but what's going on is a process. The third and final key to this is going to be the space tracking radar systems. Uh, for example, 
sorts of things you have at the Ballistic Missile Early Warning Center at RAF Filingdales in Yorkshire. And it was very interesting. There was a report about a week ago in the Daily Telegraph quoting a senior defense source saying that the UK MOD is tracking what's going on in the US. When this report drops, we will have to consider whether we re-engage on this subject. And Filingdales was something that specifically was mentioned by this anonymous senior defense source. Do you think that the the sort of multi-spectrum analysis that you reference, so we've got infrared search and track camera, we've got some radar imagery, we've got um, electro-optical imagery, um, the satellite imagery that you mentioned, does that uh, take away from the argument that some make that this is some kind of sort of herd hysteria, you know, that, that there are always rashes of reports and you could explain that you, lots of US Navy pilots have experienced this, even though not many of them have spoken about it. Um, because it's been something that has been discussed in the squadron crew rooms and people have known about it. Does it does it uh, does it sort of shore up the argument that this is a real thing? Uh, it's just simply unexplained. It does. I, I mean, there's no getting away from the fact that uh, I mean, pilots. I think are pretty good witnesses. Uh, if 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 you're a fast jet pilot, for example, and you see something, and you say, "I think that was traveling at Mach one point two, uh, that's probably a far better estimate than a layperson would come up with. So th- there's that. But having said that, of course, there's no such thing as an infallible witness, and pilots can misperceive, misidentify things, maybe less likely to than than most, but it can happen. So, but to to your question, absolutely, it it takes us, I think, beyond that, because it's not just that testimony. It is the fact that, for example, with these US Navy videos, uh, in parallel with the pilot testimony, and, and some of these incidents, it's it's multiple pilots and, and um, you know, backseaters. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, it, but it's not just that. It's not just the testimony, important though that is. It is the FLIR videos, the radar data, the the other things. Uh, so yes, you can have a combination of, uh, as as skeptics would say, um, you can push push the boundaries on this. Well, you could have pilot misperception plus uh, radar glitch plus forward looking infrared camera anomaly slash artifact. Yes, but but come on, you begin to when all of those things at once begin to corroborate each other. Um, it takes an awful lot of things to have gone wrong at the same time. Not saying it can't happen, but again, this isn't just one incident or three. Uh, people know those three videos. It's, it's. I mean, one of the reports I saw this morning was that 120 incidents were taken seriously enough to have been analyzed by this body called the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, which is embedded in the office of naval intelligence in the US. So this is this is not just here and there. It's ongoing. And some would say escalatory. If if we take those three um you know potential explanations that you listed at the beginning of this conversation then the, the third was um adversary um capability adversary technology. What do we what do you know then about Russian and Chinese investigations into into UAP. Do they have uh, a similar set of um, challenges around understanding what's going on, or, or or would a sort of lack of information coming out of 
those countries indicate that perhaps they do understand it. They do know what's going on. I don't really have sufficient visibility of the situation to answer that. I mean, I think for all sorts of reasons, political, um, cultural, linguistic, I don't have a good insight into what's going on in Russia and China with regard to UAP research. And I certainly don't have an insight into how how the political leadership there and and how military intelligence community views it. Actually, it's one of the big, I, I won't say completely unasked, but not asked enough questions is how is all this playing out in, in Russia and China? Are they having their own sightings? Are they wondering, for example, could some of this be US or UK technology? Um, one, one suspects that's exactly what happening but i don't know that for sure you've had uh, access to I, I know from sort of doing my research before talking to you um or you've seen some of the the declassified cold war reports that the the russians had filed i know there was a a fairly well-known one where a submarine saw some objects moving very quickly towards it um do, do you think that you, again going back to mentioning the technology i suppose what the technology has done is made this a, a more credible conversation to have um, but but do you think that the characteristics of what um, have been seen recently in those videos remain constant over time? The ability to move very quickly, the lack of obvious propulsion sources, um, you know, being able to to fundamentally defy the laws of physics as we understand them or as we're subjected to. Have have they been a constant through time? Do you think? I think they have been a constant, but previously they've been far more likely to have just been written off or certainly written off by defense and national security correspondents, um, military and aviation journalists, those sorts of people, um, because of the ridicule factor and the giggle factor that that arises automatically when you use the phrase UFO. That's one of the reasons we changed the terminology back in the 90s in the MOD to UAP, to rebrand this as the science issue the defense issue, the national security issue, the air safety issue that we believed it to be. Um, so I think maybe those sorts of parameters have always been there, but they haven't necessarily been focused on by the sorts of people that are now paying attention and, and saying, wait a minute, all these crazy UFO people and conspiracy theorists, they were right. They said there was probably a secret US government program, and there was. They said there were encounters between these things and, and the military. And there are. But I think, uh, I, I think what's happened recently is that this has been given a language. People like Christopher Mellon and Luis Elizondo in the US have started banding around terms like uh, transmedium travel, uh, this, this apparent ability to travel seamlessly both in the air and, and under the water. And that sounds so much better than someone in the UFO community saying, hey, I saw a UFO and it was flying around and then it went under the, the, the water and maybe there's a base down there. So that still sounds a little crazy. But when Lou Elizondo says, yeah, transmedium travel is one of the five observables, everyone goes, oh, yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> so it's the same thing, but it's just that the narrative and our perception has changed. But one of the big issues here is where is the U.S. Air Force in all of this? The focus has been on the Navy, and certainly whether it's been the, the uh, U.S. Navy 
F-18 Super Hornets, whether it's been the aircraft carriers like the Nimitz or the Princeton, whether it's been the destroyers like the Omaha, the Kidd, the Russell. Oh, it, it seems to be the naval assets that have been in the front line here. Now, is the Air Force just being smart and trying to keep out of this? I mean, we know that they're contributing to what's going on right now, but they've stayed out of the firing line. Uh, but what's going on with the Navy is disturbing. And for example, any time you talk to military analysts about what's on the wish list for kit that you you want, uh, one, one thing that you hear a lot about is supercavitation and, and supercavitation torpedoes, that sort of thing. Um, I was looking the other day at, at the whole where the level of tech is, for example, in firing ammunition um, from above the surface to under the sea, things like the, what is it, the NAMO swimmer, um, those sorts of things. So if these things, whatever they are, are employing those sorts of technologies, whether we're talking about Russians or Martians, it is it is something that should concern us and does there there is a suggestion that that yeah it is a suggestion because nobody has any any concrete answers that this is a some form of black program um that it's easier to um you know just say we don't know what it is than to admit that the technology is is actually you know sort of real and and um being operationalized or being tested by by the US You've obviously got some experience having investigated these things from a defence security point of view for the British government. Uh, what is the likelihood that the people doing the investigation will actually have sufficient security clearance to know whether this is something that is um, being developed in the US or, or not? Well, that's a very interesting question, and and it's it, it's an important one because one of the few tangible things that looks as if it's going to come out of this report is rejection of the theory that it's US black project technology. But yet, as everyone knows, for example, that technology runs, depending on who you ask, 10, 15, 20 plus years ahead of what's publicly declared. A lot of that cutting edge technology is going to be highly classified, deeply compartmentalized. And yes, the question, and it's a legitimate one, is did the people doing this study and drafting this report for DNI to send to Congress, did they get access to everything? In the, whatever it is, 18 different parts of the US intelligence community, did they even identify the correct people to ask those sorts of questions? The first of which is, what have we got? Um, And if they did identify the right people to ask, were they... Had, did they have sufficient security clearance to get the answer? I don't know the answers to those questions. What I will say is that people like Marco Rubio um, and, and others who are in a position to know have been fairly forthright in their direct statements and implied conclusions that it's not US technology. But of course, every time you delve into intelligence matters, it's it's the old question: Are they trying to hide a capability that they do have, and is is the whole situation here a, a, 
an intelligence operation, a deception operation of some sort to make Russia and China and others think that maybe we don't have something when we do, um, or to imply that we have something when we don't. And you can argue yourself round in circles with with all of this, but it is it's an important question. And but it's it's the US, it's the it's director of national intelligence. It's going out under her signature. So she's going to have to be accountable for that. And if her people didn't find the right information, but someone had it, or if there was a deliberate decision taken to to kind of massage the truth somewhat for intelligence purposes, then she's accountable. What do you think the the end game is here? Then I mean, we talked you know ten minutes ago about being on the hamster wheel, but is it acceptable for a government, uh, a superpower, to in, in perpetuity say we don't know what something is? Um, you know, are they, are they going to have to come up with answers at some point? I would think so, and I would hope so. But you almost stray into the philosophical with some of this because I, I've seen some of the newspaper headlines on this. It's like, uh, it depends which way you write the headline. Is the headline that you haven't found proof of aliens? Or is the headline that the extraterrestrial hypothesis has not been ruled out? Well, arguably it's the same thing, but it's you're coming at it from different angles. And therefore there's, you know, this morning, when when I looked at this in the New York Times, and actually it was very interesting. They changed their headline. They changed their online headline at least once, and then the print version that ran on uh, morning of June fourth had a, a, a different headline again. So I think there's a lot of debate about how this is is spun. But it gets back to get back to your question and try and answer it. How do you can you ever prove a negative? Can you ever get to the point? where you can say, I can categorically rule out extraterrestrial visitation. And I'm not sure you can, because one of the few really good assumptions you can make about extraterrestrial visitation is that for viable interstellar travel, their technology would be orders of magnitude above our own. So even with the best and most comprehensive uh, satellite coverage, space tracking, radar coverage, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you could just all almost say, and I'm I'm being flippant, but the point stands. Well, you know, if you're dealing with uh, aliens who would just um, deploy their cloaking device or, or or negate our technology with with some sort of shield or or you know false spoofing technology, um, who's to say? Mm. So I I think I'm not sure you would ever get to the point where you would say, I can categorically prove there's no extraterrestrial presence, because you could always argue, well, they're just a step ahead of you, or many steps ahead of you. It's, it's a very interesting point, isn't it? Because a lot of people would laugh at the idea of a cloaking device or whatever. But, but if you think back to, I think they started experimenting with using lights on the leading edges of um, dive bombers in World War II that would make it very, very difficult to see them until they were, you know, literally a mile or so away, by which time it was too late to hit them. And, of course, since then, uh, jamming technology, radio frequency manipulation, uh, electro-optical manipulation, um, you know, there's, bu- there's a bunch of technology. And as you said a minute ago, 
um, that came out of the uh, defense establishment, which for many years was was classified. So it's not such a ludicrous idea. Um, one of the things that somebody said to me recently, uh, I was talking to him, he's a, he's a sort of well-known test pilot, um, US test pilot, was he said, you know, as far as we know, the laws of physics are the same in space as they are here on Earth. And, and he is struggling to sort of believe some of these things around sort of 700 G accelerations and, and so on and so forth. Um, do, do you have a personal view then? Well, you must have a personal view. So, so can you share your personal view on, on what you think explains some of these things? Sure. Let me um, go back a little though, because I think that's a, an, an important point that the test pilot made. I mean, yes, the laws of physics do seem to be constant in the observable universe. And, and you know, I, I take that. However, I would put a, a rider onto that. And I would say that, that, of course, our understanding of the laws of physics changes and evolves, I mean, almost constantly. And, and you know, there is no such thing as, I suppose, at the moment, uh, universally agreed upon interpretation. And of course, you get into some advanced theoretical physics, and and there are different models for the way in which the universe works. Now, I, I take the point that in all of that, yes, there probably is only one law, laws or set of laws of physics. But as I say, our understanding of them is incomplete, and things that we currently believe to be impossible or highly improbable might actually downstream turn out to be possible. A good example of that might be the search for hidden dimensions, which a few years ago would have sounded like science fiction. Then people like Michio Kaku came up with string theory where multiple dimensions, most of which are hidden, are necessary to make those models work. And now at the Large Hadron Collider, for example, they are actively looking for signs of those so-called hidden dimensions so that's so you know i get the point i get the skepticism about 700g acceleration but i you know i wouldn't rule it out i mean maybe there are workarounds even to maybe maybe accelerating through the light barrier is impossible but maybe there are workarounds in terms of all these sci-fi staples like warp drive and wormholes and for anyone who thinks, well, nobody's working on that. Oh, yes, they are. And of course, one of the interesting, one of the few bits of tangible paperwork we have about the ATIP program was a letter dated, I think, January 9th or, or January the 11th, 2018, from the Defense Intelligence Agency to Congress shortly after the New York Times broke the story of ATIP and the three. US Navy videos. And they said, and we attach a list of, of studies undertaken under this program. And um, despite the cover letter trying to spin this as being about next generation aviation and aerospace threats and weapons threats to the US, the studies covered anti-gravity, invisibility, uh, warp drive, wormholes, stargates, and the Drake equation. Of course, the, the only purpose of which is to attempt to calculate how many communicable civilizations there might be in our galaxy. So where were the papers about Russia or China? They weren't there. 
So um, yeah, someone somewhere is working on this all the time. What do I think is going on personally? I don't know. Life out there, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's it's only a matter of time before we find it. Probably in the first instance, microbial life, um, Mars, the atmosphere of Venus, Europa, Enceladus, some 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 other places in our own solar system. But the next generation of optical telescopes, I mean, we've got James Webb Space Telescope coming up, launching this fall. We've got, if they can get around to building it, uh, the Square Kilometre Array Radio Telescope over the next few years. I I think these technologies will put us within range of being able to detect things like so-called um, alien mega structures, like like the postulated Dyson spheres. Uh, somebody thought that they might, you know, talk talk about finding one or evidence of one maybe around Tabby's star. The next time we have something like Oumuamua going through the the solar system, um, then then we have um, the the idea the search for. Uh, so-called biosignatures and technosignatures, technosignatures even better than biosignatures because you don't get bogged down in a debate about could it be, you know, is it biological or geological? So, so I think we're getting there. Like, so life out there, absolutely. Life visiting us down here, I don't know. I would like to think so. Out of all the theories that the U.S. government is currently considering in relation to. UFOs or UAP, the extraterrestrial hypothesis would certainly be the most interesting and I think impactful in societal terms. Um, so bring it on. Do, do you think, last question, Nick, I'll let you go because I know you're, you're busy, but um, do you think that if they knew that that were the explanation for some of this, that they would ever, they would ever share it with the, the world at large? Do you think that... Uh, you know, would it would it be always be something? I mean, if you think back to the the sort of conspiracy theories around Roswell, for example, um, you know, there is there was this sort of long-standing argument that even if it were real, they wouldn't tell you about it. They wouldn't tell you that some little aliens had crashed in the desert and they they sort of found them and, and taken them back to the base. And you know, the whole Bob Lazar uh, narrative um, that, that no no nation state would reveal that to its citizens. I'll give a two-part answer to that. I think if they felt they could, whatever you believe, some say continue to cover it up, but if they're only just stumbling across it, um, cover up. If if they thought they could, then yes, I think they would. The reason I say that is technology acquisition. The nation that, if that's what we're dealing with, the nation that first acquires that technology would, would just have such an unimaginable um, technological quantum leap over other nations that it would it would make you the dominant force on on the face of the planet for the foreseeable future whether it's politically militarily economically or whatever uh, if they didn't think they could keep the genie in the bottle so to speak uh, then i think they would play it a different way I think they would come out and say it. And in one sense, they would want to come out and be the first to say it because you would want that place in history. But maybe you wouldn't do that all in one go. Maybe you would 
drip feed it out. Maybe you would acclimatize people to the reality of this. Maybe you would reverse the narrative of the last 70 years, which has been denial, downplaying, and debunking. And you yourself, as the government, would begin to put some breadcrumbs out, a few videos here and there, <laughs> some retired intelligence community people, some rather bigger players like like former presidents. And of course, you know where I'm going with this. Isn't that exactly what's happening now? Yeah. So, so I think in those circumstances, the feeling would be you'd want to get out ahead of the narrative and drive the narrative and react, uh, pardon me, you, you know, be proactive, not reactive. So, so I think it's interesting to look at what's happening now in that context and ask ourselves, uh, might that be the strategy? If they know, or even if they strongly suspect, A, that there is an extraterrestrial presence, and B, that it's only a matter of time before, say, the mainstream scientific community has in its hands the tools to prove it. That's the point where you as the government want to get out ahead of things and and say, oh, look what we found. It could be at the uh, the beginning of a very exciting journey then. <laughs> I think it, it absolutely could be. But of course, in all of this, what we don't know uh, are the unknown unknowns and the events, dear boy, events. And uh, make no mistake about it, I think over the next few days, weeks and months, we are going to have Firstly, we're going to have a lot more of the same. We're going to have more. Hopefully, of course, we'll have the report itself. Um, we'll have more, whether they're legitimately released or, or leaked, more videos, more photographs, more documents, more military witnesses, more intelligence community personnel with, with knowledge of these programs stepping forward. But we will also have the unexpected. Things will come from left field, I'm sure, that none of us had really thought about or anticipated. And that, I think, is going to be the thing to watch. But this story uh, this story isn't ending with this report. It's mm. beginning. Well, Nick, I, I'll let you get off and uh, start talking to the uh, the news networks. Really appreciate your time. It would be great to get you back on again to, to go back in history and, and talk about how you got into this line of work and your work with MOD. Um, but uh, really appreciate your time, and, and thanks for sharing your insights with us. Thank you. I was happy to discuss this. Sorry, it was a little bit uh, short and sharp, but uh, yeah, a very busy day. And I promise that I will circle back and we can do, I think, two things then. Firstly, we can have a deeper dive into the report itself, um, at least the unclassified part of it, hopefully when that is released to the media and the public. And secondly, as as you mentioned, we can perhaps go into my backstory and some of the history of what the Ministry of Defense in the UK did with this, because I think that contextualizes a lot of what's going on now in the US. I'm not, I'm not claiming credit for it, but there's no getting away from the fact that there is a UK influence mm. on some of this, whether it's the US adopting the term that we popularized, UAP, and a Navy spokesperson did say, we got this from the Brits, or, or whether it is looking at and my understanding is that the UAP task force has looked at some British cases. So let's let's see what, if anything, they have to say about that. So uh, happy to circle back when we know a little more and uh, cover some of the ground we didn't have time to cover today.